Hi, my name is Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. We had church last night at choir rehearsal. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 17. We're going to talk about Jesus coming back. Luke chapter 17. If you will, stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, Luke 17, verse 20. Being asked by one of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming. When you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it, and they will look to you, or look and say to you, Look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it is written in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but he who loses his life will keep it. I tell you, In that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Lord Jesus, speak to us. Make us a people ready for the coming of the Lord. Teach us, Holy Spirit, hide me behind your cross and use this word to grow us as Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated.
We just sang a number of songs about the return of Jesus, whether it's uh, in Christ alone or on the solid rock, when he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found. We, we just heard about what it's going to be like maybe when we get to glory, when we stand before the Lord. We, we just heard these songs that are looking forward to heaven. And we, maybe, maybe your heart, like my heart, is going, thank you, Lord. Because I look around in the world and I feel about the exact opposite that I do when I focus my mind and my attentions on glory that is to be revealed to those who love Jesus. Man, it's a tough day. And maybe you feel like the Pharisee in this, this uh, passage who's saying, when's the kingdom coming? When's the kingdom coming? And here's kind of what he's asking. When's the Messiah going to come? When is all this injustice on the earth going to be made right? When is all the brokenness of God's creation, when's that going to be restored? When are the sick going to be healed? When are the lame going to walk? When are the blind going to see? When is cancer going to be destroyed? When is the true king going to overthrow all the oppressors? When is sin going to be punished? And when is jubilee? When debts are forgiven, prisoners are set free. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Have you been asking those questions lately? I think we need to think to ourselves about Jesus and His day. You might even say, well, I just don't know if any of that's going to happen, Ryan. I don't know if Jesus is going to come back. I just want to remind you, I saw it uh, somewhere this week. Jesus, or God said in Isaiah that He's going to send a sign in His the sign's going to come through a virgin who's going to give birth and bear a son and he'll, his name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And guess what? God said it and it happened. Jesus said he was going to suffer and he did. He said he was going to die and he did. He said he'd be raised and he was. He said he's coming back. Do you believe him? But the Pharisee asks the question, when? The kingdom, when is the kingdom of God? When would it come? And here's Jesus' answer. He says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's in your midst. Here's what Jesus is saying. You're looking for signs. You're looking for wonders. Stop looking for signs. Stop looking for wonders. Look at the tip of your nose. The kingdom is here because the king is here. He's saying to the Pharisees, the kingdom has been inaugurated because the king has come. But it's not going to come in, in, in ways that you'd expect. I want you to hear that today. The kingdom is not going to come in ways that we expect. Even the day of the Lord is not going to come in the way we expect. How do we know that? Because Isaiah chapter 52 tells us this about the suffering servant whose name is Jesus. Verse 2 and 3 says this. And he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. 
Jesus says, or the, the scripture says of Jesus, that when he comes, he's going to come in such a way that you're looking for this, and he's going to come like this. There, he's not going to have the stature of a king. Do you remember when they picked out Saul, the king, in, in the Old Testament? They picked out the tallest one and the mightiest one and the best looking one. He had to be very good looking to be the king. And when they picked out David, but what about when, they, when God chose Jesus? He says he's not going to have anything that you'll look at him. He's not going to be, have any, any, anything that would draw you to him. He will not come on the back of a white horse. He will come humble and meek and mounted on the foal of a donkey. He will come in ways that you don't expect. The kingdom of God will come like that. He answers, it's not going to come in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is among you. Guys, I want you to listen to me as your pastor, as a friend, as however you want to call me. I just want to ask you and beg and plead with you. I'm not sure what some of us are waiting on to give our hearts and our lives to Jesus, but some of you are waiting for signs. Some of you are waiting for the heavens to part. Don't wait. Jesus is here. I don't know if Jesus is speaking to you, if he's working in your life, but if you're waiting for a sign, he might just not give you a sign. And the opportunity might pass you by. And I would hate to hear of that. He says it's in your midst. Have you had the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus? Have you had the opportunity to trust Christ as your Savior and your Lord? Then the kingdom of God is in your midst. He answers the Pharisees with a general response. And then he turns to his disciples in verse 22. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. Do you know what the Jews were waiting on? They've been oppressed almost their entire lives, whether it's the Egyptians or the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians or the Romans. They had been living under oppression, and they're begging God for the Messiah who would come and take His throne and would come and end oppression and come and end this uh, outer pressure of other nations that would come in and and ride this grand white horse and be a military conqueror that he would set all right and kick Rome out. And that's not what they got, is it? See, our Savior, he he didn't enter the fray of politics, did he? Our Savior spoke to the heart. He was not concerned with Rome's invasion. He was concerned with sin's invasion. He didn't come to set people free from slavery to Rome or or debt to Rome. He came to set people free from slavery to sin and debt to sin. He didn't come in a way that they expected. And then he says, one one day soon, you're going to long to see a day of the Son of Man. What is he saying, the Son of Man? The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite uh, title for himself. Where does he get it? He gets it out of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is a messianic prophecy where 
God is speaking to the Son of Man. And this is what it says of him in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 through 14. It says, I saw in night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Jesus says, There's, you're going to look for a day, one of the days of the Son of Man. You're going to long for that day, and it's not going to happen. What's he saying? What's Jesus getting at? Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, hey, times are going to get hard. There are going to be times of difficulty in your life that will cause you to long for the Messiah's return. There are going to be days in our lives where, where our lives are broken, where sickness has taken over a part of our life where we lose a loved one. There's going to come a day where persecution is ignited in our midst. And we're going to long for a day of the coming of the Son of Man. And he says, but you're not going to get it just yet. And then he gives us a why. And here's what I want you to understand out of this passage. That, that Jesus is coming. He's going to return and he's not going to come the way he did the first time. The first time he came in meekness. The second time he's going to come in power. The first time he came bringing salvation to everyone who would trust in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. The second time he's not coming back to bring salvation. He's coming back to bring judgment and justice on the earth. He is returning He's not going to come in the way that we expect. But right now, we live in the in-between. You see, the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, but the kingdom of God has not been consummated. We live in the messy middle. We live in a time where it's difficult. Why do we live in this middle? Because we live in a time of God's patient grace. God's grace. Have you ever asked yourself, why does God tarry? Why is he not coming back? Does he not see? How many of you, maybe even this week, you've prayed that Jesus would return soon? Why is he not coming back? Because God is more gracious than we could ever imagine. He is more merciful than our minds could fathom. And he is a giving people another opportunity to turn from sin and trust in Christ. I love 2 Peter 3, verses 9 and 10. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Why is God tarrying? Why is He waiting? Why has He not returned? Because He's being patient with you. Aren't you glad that God was patient with you? Aren't you glad that the first time you might have said no to Jesus, God didn't zap you? Aren't you glad that God is not as quick to anger as you and I are? Gosh, I'm glad. 
He is slow to anger. And abounding in steadfast love. And then he gives two examples. Jesus does. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. See, Noah, his generation was a wicked generation. So wicked, I, I can't fathom this wicked, wickedness. So wicked that God said, I, I regret, I, I mourn that I created them. That's wicked. So wicked that, that God says, I'm going to destroy the entire creation with a flood. There was a warning. God gave a warning to everybody. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn back to me. He even gave a way to do that. I'm creating an ark. And the ark is the, what will take you through the judgment of God. It will, if you trust in the ark, the ark will bear you safe through God's judgment to the other side. There was an offer of repentance, an offer of patience and mercy and grace. God was providing a way. And what did the people do? They did exactly what verse 25 says. But first, Jesus must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as the generation in Jesus' day rejected the free gift of salvation that God offered there on the cross of Jesus Christ, Noah, in his generation, they rejected the free gift of God's salvation through the ark that would bear them through the judgment of God. Eight were saved. Eight. Eight people. Out of all the people on the world, eight were saved. Eight trusted in God's provision for salvation. Eight. Finally, the time of God's mercy, His patience ended, and He opened up the springs in the earth to bring judgment. The judgment that He promised. How long did it take? It was well over a hundred years. From the time where God said, I'm going to judge the world, to the time where He fulfilled His judgment. And then in Lot, He gives another illustration in verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I don't know if you've read the story of Lot lately, but it is an incredible story. Angels come into Sodom and Gomorrah, and they come in and they warn Lot of impending doom, of judgment that is to come. And Lot says, let me go get my sons-in-law, those who are uh, 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 to marry my daughters. Let me go get them and warn them. So Lot goes to warn his sons-in-law. And when he warns the sons-in-law, it says in Genesis chapter 19 that it sounded like he was joking to them. I need you to understand that when we talk about that Jesus is going to come back, it'll sound like foolishness to some too. Some people won't have it. They won't hear that God would judge the world. 
They won't hear that Jesus will split the eastern sky and he will come back with trumpet sound, that he will be riding a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth, that his robe will be dipped in blood and on his thigh will be his name written. Sounds like foolishness. And I need you to hear what Jesus is saying. We're living in a time of grace and mercy, of patience and long-suffering, where the Lord is putting up with sin to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus because He's coming back. Just like God promised to Noah, God fulfilled the judgment. God promised a lot, and God fulfilled the promise by raining fire and sulfur down from heaven. It literally says in Genesis chapter 19 that the angels had to grab Lot and his family and run them out of the city because they were unwilling to leave. And then Lot's wife looks back. We live in a time where God has given a warning. Now we live in a time where God is offering repentance. He's giving mercy. He is not treating us according to our sins. But there's coming a time where mercy will be no more because people have rejected the free gift of God's salvation and judgment will come. That is a terrifying day. It says in Revelation that on that day, people will go into the caves and cry out that the mountains would fall on them to hide them from the fierce anger of God. It will be a day where nothing stands, that no one lives. Except those who have trusted in God's provision. See, God made a way for Noah. God made a way for Lot. And God made a way for you and me. I don't want to experience judgment, Ryan. I don't want to experience judgment. How do I, how do I bypass judgment? How do I experience God's mercy? How should I be saved from God's fierce anger at my sin? His name is Jesus. He suffered for you, for me. His life given on the cross that you and I deserved to hang on. His body experienced the pain that my sin merited. His death was in my place and yours. God's anger was satisfied at sin by pouring it out on Jesus that everyone who would trust in Jesus would not experience the judgment of God but would be set free from it. Listen to me. Judgment is coming. Jesus will return. And He might return for you individually or He might return for us corporately. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know if we're going to... It's going to look how we've always envisioned it, but I know He's coming. It's not an if, but a when. And so, if we live in this time of grace... We live in this time of God's long suffering where He's giving us another opportunity to turn back to Him. That means we should get ready. Each and every one of us. Each person must be ready because when He comes, it'll be too late. How do we get ready? 
Real fast, I just want to give you a few ways. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. I want you to look at verse 21. Nor will they say, look, here it is or there. Verse 23, and they will say to you, look there or look here. Don't go out or follow them. He's, Jesus is teaching us, you stay steadfast to me. You keep your eyes on me. Don't get distracted, but fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. If you want to be ready for the day of Christ's coming, you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't, get, let, don't let anything distract you from following Christ. Man, that's hard. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Don't get distracted. Don't be discouraged. What do you mean discouraged? It's really easy to get discouraged with all of the things in the world in which we live that are broken. Amen? We have a church member whose father has cancer in his body and the cancer was in such a place that the cancer itself broke a bone and I look at and he's a believer Mr. Wayne loves Jesus we say why we've got church members with Alzheimer's and dementia I say why Lord it's easy to get discouraged it's easy to say God are you coming back why are you letting it go on this long? Don't let it go on this long. Second Peter chapter 3, when Peter's talking about the coming of Jesus, he says, they will say, scoffers. They will say, where's the promise of His coming? Chapter 3, verse 4. They will say, where's the promise of His, of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Mockers are going to say, hey, nothing going to change. You're just going to die and be worm food. There's no heaven. There's no hell. And he says, don't be discouraged. Trust in my promises. I'm coming back. How do we know? When's it going to be? I love what Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 says. It says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time came... God sent forth His Son. Give me, let me tell you something. When the fullness of time comes, God's going to send forth the Son. I don't know when that's going to be, but I know it's going to be at the fullness of time. I know it's going to be at the right time. And I know it's going to be at such a time that all who see it are going to rejoice in it or hide from it. Don't be discouraged. Don't look back. Don't look back. Look it down at verse 31. On that day, let the one who's on the house stop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. Here's the point. Don't look back. They looked back at what they were losing. Lot's wife was looking back at this town that she's loved for some reason. He says, if you're up on the house and you've got goods in the house, don't go down to get them. Because what you're going to lose is nothing compared to what you're going to gain. 
We're so concerned with things in this world. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Don't look back. And don't come alone. Don't come alone. People often will say, Ryan, are you ready for Jesus to come back? And I say, well, personally, yes. But corporately, no. I don't want Jesus to return today. It might sound backward for a preacher to say, I don't want Jesus to return yet. Do you know how many people are going to die and spend an eternity separated from God forever in the devil's hell? Because if Jesus were to come back today, they would be trusting in their own merit rather than in the merit of Christ. And I don't want to wish that on anybody. Paul said in Romans chapter 9, Oh, that I would be accursed for the sake of my brothers, according to the flesh. My, my Israelite brothers, he says, I, would, I wish I could give them my salvation if they would be saved. Don't come alone. When Jesus returns, have people holding hand in hand that you might have had the opportunity to lead to Jesus. Think about the joy that will come from standing in heaven and the Lord saying, you see him? You see her? They're here because you shared with them. Because you told them about Jesus. They trusted in Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Oh, the joy that heaven would be when God reveals the fruit of our labors. Don't go to heaven alone. It's the worst, most selfish thing we could do. At the conclusion of one of the most famous passages in the, the scriptures on the return and resurrection, return of Jesus and resurrection of the saints, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 58, it says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, here's the encouragement to you who have Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I'm so frustrated, Ryan. Things are going wrong here and things are going wrong there. I just want to throw my hands up. I just want to give up. I just want to throw in the towel. I just want to go hide. Hunker down and wait for Jesus to come back. And Paul would say to you, brother or sister, don't do that. But because of the resurrection hope that we have in Jesus, because of the promise that Jesus is going to return for his own, and the dead in Christ will rise with him, because of the resurrection hope that you and I have, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't come alone. God is being patient. That means we have a mission. Our mission is is not to save people. We can't do that. But our mission is to tell people how they can get saved. I can't bear their sins, but I know the one who can. I can't get them out of hell, but, you know, sometimes I just think people need to, like that messenger, that angel in Genesis chapter 19 that grabbed Lot by the hand and said, please come with me. 
Sometimes we need to have the boldness of that messenger to grab people's hand and say, please come with me, your life is at stake. Your soul is at stake. As we close today, there are people right here today who need Jesus. You need Jesus. That if you were to die today, you would be separated from God forever in hell, and you know it. And, and it's because you're trusting in what you can do rather than what Christ has done. And I just want to encourage you today, if that's you, that you would give your heart to Jesus today. Don't wait another day. Because Jesus might come back tomorrow. Many more of us, we have Jesus. And I just want to encourage you, don't get distracted. Don't be discouraged. Don't look back. Keep on working. Let's pray. And if you need to respond, you respond today. Right now, in these moments, you respond to the Lord. If you want to get saved, you step up out of your seat and you come and make that known and you, I will introduce you to Jesus. But in this time of prayer, you move. Father, there are people here who are facing a decision just like Noah's generation, just like Lot's generation, just like Jesus' generation. There is a generation here among us today who's facing a decision of eternal consequences. And my prayer for them, Lord, is that even though you're tarrying, you're not coming back, that you're being patient and long-suffering with us, that they, those who know they're lost, would run to you today. That they would not wait for tomorrow. Because tomorrow may never come. Father, we thank you that when Jesus comes back, he's going to set all things right. I long for that day. That when united with him, there will be no tears, no sorrow, no pain, no sickness, and no death. I long for that day. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But until then, let us work diligently. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. As we sing, if you'd like to respond, you can come right now.